Welcome, Blood Brothers and Sanguine Sisters, to the Deeply Discussing Dexter podcast. I am your host, Dale Maxfield. I am joined by Aaron Caldwell. Hello. Brooke Merritt. Hello. And Zach Rowland. Hello. Uh, and today's episode is Season 1, Episode 2, Crocodile. Um, we talked a little bit about why we're doing this podcast uh, last episode, but yeah, we're basically going through this. Most of us have seen... Um, all of Dexter before, and we're going back to um, find out what went wrong and when, uh, because the the series gets really terrible toward the end of the end of the run. So we're looking to see where those where those holes really started, and if uh, if there was some kind of marked difference that we didn't notice at the time. Um, last week we looked at the pilot. This week we're looking at the second episode. And it is the first occurrence of the opening theme. Um, it is a great example of how to use fully music editing and the concept that they use of making mundane, uh, getting ready for work or getting up in the morning things very sinister. Um, that opening won a primetime Emmy for outstanding main title design. And uh, I, I've always liked it. I think it's one of the best... Uh, opening credit sequences I've ever seen. What do you guys think of it? One of the best, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I thought it was really good. Again, uh, for me, rewatching, and it had been so long ago that I had watched it originally, I was like, oh, this is really fun. Um, especially to see how far opening sequences have come since then for other shows. I was really, really into it. And, uh, and the other thing I wanted to mention, too, uh, that I immediately was like, oh, this is a ritual. And, like, that was something that it, yeah. it, it came up in the in the pilot episode about rituals. And then now we see this, like, morning ritual, and it makes me realize how much of a rich... Like, how important rituals are to not only this show, but to people in general. The way they make even the most mundane activity seem so sinister. Like, he's flossing his teeth, and it's creepy. Him tying his shoes, the, the sound effects with that. It's so well done. But also certain choices of what they use, like he uses um, leather shoelaces that look kind of like rope, or a blood orange instead of a regular just orange. And it's it's all shot with, um, there's a really cool article on how they made the opening sequence. Um, if you do a search for Dexter opening sequence and Digital Kitchen, which is the name of the company that made it, um, there's a, a interview with the creative director Eric Anderson talking about how they made it, and yeah, they did a lot of stuff with macro lenses where they're super super close up on things, and it makes it so that the thing right next to the camera is in focus, but everything else is out of focus. So when he's doing that thing where he's you know pulling on the strings of his shoelaces to tighten his shoe, um, you're just seeing enough of that to see like his hands and rope and you're not sure what it is that he's doing until it backs up a little bit and shows you oh it's a shoe okay um him putting the shirt on over his head you know that just face coming through the white like it's been mummified or wrapped up or something like that and then no he just pulls it down and it's a shirt um i feel like there's something in that open se- opening sequence for everybody that creeps them out and i was going to ask you guys if there was <clears throat> something in particular that that you always kind of cringe at or try to look away at. <laughs> oh yeah, for, shaving. Shaving. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
can't stand it. Oh, I can't handle it. Yeah, that that sound they put in there, yeah. the shaving is so good. I mean, it's it's hard enough for me to shave on my own, which is why I have a, a gnarly beard, but like to, to watch <laughs> someone else shave that close up and then to see blood drop out of it, you're like, ah, no, stop. <laughs> and it happens oh, every episode. He just <laughs> continually cuts himself. <laughs> he never uh, learns. I'm using, <laughs> I'm going to use the skip intro feature on Netflix. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think it's interesting. I, uh, I, I think that by a pretty wide margin the opening sequence is the most violent part of most of the shows it's it's the most like because of the sound design and the music and all of that which is plays a big role into how you process what you're seeing um you know if you watch that to like some major key ballet concerto it wouldn't bother you so much if it didn't have that sound when they're shaving it wouldn't bother you so much but it's the combination of all those things. I think it's the scariest part of the show. Um, I don't have a particular thing that I don't like necessarily, um, but I do feel better about watching the episodes if I skip the intro. And in the Blu-ray, um, you can just skip it with the chapter. It, it's its own chapter, so you just hit the next button and, and, and skip it. And I found myself doing that on a lot of these episodes because... Uh, um, it, I I, st- I stay in a better mood. <laughs> yeah, is it just because that. it like sets you on the edge? Or? Yeah, it creeps me out. Um, it, it, it and it's tonally a little bit different than the show, which is a little bit more upbeat and a little bit less uh, a little bit less horror. I think that the the theme is more of a horror kind of feeling to it, and the show is more of a it's more of a crime drama. Is it? It's almost Hitchcocky. Yeah. Is that a word? I don't know, but yeah. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Hitch, yeah. Hit, Hitchcockian. Yeah. Uh, my wife actually uh, hates the part where he's flossing. Mm. That's the one that, that would be my second choice, yeah. That, that's one that bothers her the most. The part where you can like see the veins in his tongue. She really can't handle that. Um, and, uh, People's yeah. mouths are weird, man. <laughs> it gets to me, too. That's That's my least favorite part. Yeah, I watched. I think I talked her into watching the first season or something like that, and um, I got into the habit of, of skipping the credits because I knew she would watch more more episodes that way. So, yeah. it's a very effective opening sequence. Yeah, no matter how many times you see it, it's still equally effective every time. Yeah, I mean that that opening shot, that close up of the mosquito, like mm. every time you're right back there and just drawn into it so yeah the actual episode starts um dexter's kind of having thoughts that's recapping things that happened in the pilot um he's floating in the water sort of like a crocodile he gets interrupted by some wave runners and then there's this really cool uh scene transition where he bites into a red apple that turns into solid red and then it turns into a blood slide that he's admiring back in his apartment uh deb shows up with bagels and Dexter advises her to look for the truck on her time if she's not allowed to do it on uh, police time. 
What and I did, then, sorry, I just want to say real, what I did like about that was that um, he does say I already I've already had breakfast, and so like to talk about the intro, like it's almost like this intro is is almost like kind of saying you know the pilot stuff that happened that's that thing, but then now this intro you're going to see every time, but we're starting right away with the morning that he wakes up and has these thoughts because she immediately comes in with the bagels and he's like I've already had breakfast and we know he's had breakfast because we saw him make breakfast. Yeah. I thought the same thing, yeah. Like, it was an intentional play in there to mm-hmm. end it off, yeah. Yeah, that was, I, I really like that. With that scene, she she kind of interrupts him in his ritual of looking at the slides, and it, it sets him uh, on kind of the defensive, so when she comes in, he's like, oh, I'll still eat, and then just like really over the top, just like, um, <laughs> oh, yeah, he puts so like half a good. in his mouth. Yeah. I notice he eats like that all the time. There's always this like extra level of gusto when he takes a bite of something. And he eats a lot on the show. Mm-hmm. It's it again, I think it's it's like a hiding thing. It's yeah. like can't talk, I'm chewing. Like it's a way for him to to bow out of social situations. So yeah, um uh yeah, and I think that the opening uh is meant to be something that we assume that he does, you know, every morning when he wakes up that it you know it is part of the show every time um there is a sequence and um because i can't remember which season it's in i'll I'll just talk about it for a second there's a hilarious like his routine is broken scene in one of the upcoming seasons one of the episodes where they they do a version of the opening sequence in the show like in the actual episode but it's all screwed up and like the music's wrong and like he's trying to do all the things but like his shoelace breaks and it's really funny hmm. like it's him trying to re- recreate all the stuff from his morning ritual and it's all wrong so yeah um so uh he starts he goes to court and he's there uh being an expert witness it's the blood spatter analyst uh they ask, you know, so have you worked a lot of cases in your career? And he says, yes, 2,103. So he knows exactly how many cases he's worked. And then he happens into another courtroom where he picks up the new target, which is the multiple DUI hit-and-run offender uh, guy. Played by uh, the guy who plays Sam in True Blood. Sam so Yeah. So... Another actor that is unknown at the time that becomes something later. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I've seen him in other stuff, too. I do like the way that we see how he finds his targets in this one. You know, what leads him to these these people where he sees the family sitting and crying. And he says, you know, some people look at this family and see tragedy. I see opportunity. So we see how he, you know, follows the father, I'm assuming, into the courtroom. Oh, yeah, they did show us the dad. He follows yeah. him into the courtroom, and, and that's how he starts, you know, following this this guy. I thought that was an interesting way. The way they were shooting it with that, you know, the dad's kind of out in the hallway, and he says, I'm going to go in now, and Dexter follows him in. The way it was shooting, the way it was looking to me was, I thought he was going to attempt to assassinate the guy. The father was. I thought he was going to try and kill the guy, and Dexter was going to be like, "No, don't do that." You like, know? A, like a time to kill kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I, I think it's funny too because it's like uh, like what Brooks said it, it, the way he finds the the victims it's almost like he's an ambulance chaser like a lawyer who would be an ambulance chaser yeah. in a way where he yeah he is looking for tragedy through that's opportunity to him and it's it's so unique but he's in a position to do such it, because he is uh, involved with the like I don't see any other way he could do any of the things he does unless he was working for the police department yeah well, it he wouldn't work any other way. He talks about wanting to go to. Uh, he he likes going to court. Um, there's a flashback in this episode where he talks to Harry, and and Harry mentions that how unfair it is that people get away. Uh, they they get off on technicalities and things like that. So. It's a lot of uh, a lot of foreshadowing, I guess, mm-hmm. to that later conversation. Mm-hmm. So uh, then he's called to a crime scene, which is uh, what looks like a suicide. Um, Dexter mentions Laguardia's attraction and says, "And I thought I was creepy," <laughs> which is a great uh, rejoinder for. For Brooke especially after the last yeah. episode. Well, I actually, as I was watching the episode, I said out loud, I said, she's still creepy as hell in this episode. And then he said, I thought I was creepy. I'm like, all right, it's not just me. Yep, exactly. <laughs> um, he tries to pry something out of the guy's mouth. It turns out to be a piece of human flesh, but it sprays blood everywhere. And then he uses luminol on his face to look for, like, blood that he may have missed wiping off or, like, trace evidence kind of stuff. Um which would really not be a great thing to do in real life. Um, it'd be like, I don't know, like spring bleach on your face or something. Uh, it's a pretty irritating solution to your nasal passages and even your skin. Yeah. But, uh, it's another one of those moments when you can tell the writers were just like, you know, we, we could do some science stuff here, but we're just going to do what we want to do without worrying about the science yeah. behind it. Yeah. But it also... It also made him seem more creepy because you could tell that he wasn't just doing it to clean his face. He was doing it because he was just interested in the fact that there was blood on his face and nobody could see it. Because at first I thought, is he spraying like a sanitizer on his face just because he's still grossed out about the blood? No, no, it's it's luminol and he just wants to look at it. All right. Yep. Uh, I'll just say too that uh, things in people's mouths, like the way that they place that thing, this the skin in the guy's mouth, creeps me out every time. The way it's like kind of sticking out and looks like an extra tongue. I don't yeah. know that like so so well done. I, I was particularly impressed by that part with being like ah, I don't want to yeah. see that. <laughs> And yet they still made that scene somewhat, you know, humorous, too, because his reaction when he got sprayed with the blood was just such a great little humor to it. I mean, yeah, he just kind of closed his eyes and one. was like, all right, medic, medic. Yeah, great. Um, there was some tech or something that was like, no, he's dead. It's just death rows, like death rattle yeah, kind of death stuff. Death rattle, yeah. So, um... Then we go to a briefing with LaGuerta. Um, she realized, she reveals that the jumper was actually a cop, an undercover cop. And LaGuerta and Dokes go to do a next of kin notification to find another uh, victim. Uh, the wife of the cop 
Karen, who's bleeding out on the floor. Uh, then Batista and Dexter uh, go to that crime scene. Dexter is just grinning like an idiot um, throughout the whole process, uh, which is something that he, he definitely gets better at hiding as the series goes on. Um, we get our first appearance from Jeff Pearson as Captain Matthews, um, who's getting involved because this is a, a cop killing and also a, uh, a cop's family being targeted. And then Dexter uses his blood spatter uh, knowledge to find the phone under the couch, um, which gives them the phone number that they can start tracking some people down. That's another scene where Dexter just... It's like they were intentionally trying to make him seem creepy because he is so clearly fascinated at the crime scene where everybody is just kind of... um, they, they know the guy's a cop now, and they're, uh, they're depressed about it, and have they, this is after, yeah, they found the woman bleeding on the floor, so everybody is just on edge, because they've, they've killed a cop, and, um, the now they're going after the cop's family and Dexter just has this huge smile on his face roaming around the crime scene like something seems out of place I'm going to find it and it's just creepy yes yeah and it is another thing where uh, we see Dexter using his perception to find something um, which is, I mean, it is an aspect of the early part of the show that I really liked, that I kind of wish they had kept, um, that Dexter was more useful at crime scenes and stuff. But uh, um, next he goes and talks to Deb, and she is giving him like way too much information about her hookup with this guy, Sean. Um, and Dexter kind of throws it back at her and invites her on a double date because he knows that if his sister's there as a chaperone, that he and Rita won't get up to anything. Um, they go to uh, Rita's house. Um, we've got Dexter flying Cody in the air, Superman style. Rita bribes the kids with cookies to get some alone time with Dexter, and Dexter invites Rita on the double date. But is uh, careful to point out that it was Deb's idea, not his. Yes. He's also... To go back to Brooke's point about um, the way he eats, the way and him using eating as a distraction, she gets, sends the kids away with cookies to get some time with him, and even tells Aster that yes, she's going to kiss him while they're gone. And they cut back, and Dexter is just shoveling cookies into his face, and he and he says something to her like, "I am well and truly cookied." <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, we may have a contender for worst line. I forgot about that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like he just comes up with the dumbest things to say sometimes. It, you know, like he just... It's just out of nowhere or whatever. The, the way he phrases stuff is just abnormal. Which is good. It's good for the character. Yeah, it's funny. Deb calls Dexter and wakes him up. She's found the ice truck. Um, they call back up and open the truck and find the five fingertips in a block of ice. Um, LaGuerts takes partial credit with the captain, does not pass on his compliments to Deb. 
And then LaGuerta actually reprimands Deb for not telling her that she was looking for the truck or using patrol to keep an eye out for the truck. Um, so another, you know, Deb versus LaGuerta thing. Um, and they thaw the fingers out, and Dexter says, he's trying to impress me, and it's working. Didn't um, didn't they show him holding up the hand at some point, and uh, he sees, like, the coloring on the, on the hand? It's at the end, yeah, at the end of the last episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has the doll's hand, and he sees the the differently colored fingernails. Yeah, because that's important. Because then we see the hand, the fingers, and they have the different colored fingernails. So yeah. it's like a, like another piece of the puzzle, but it's like very, you know, a, a very a clued into what what the ice truck killer wants. You know. Yeah, because then the doll disap- or the the everything but the head disappears sometime during this episode before the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so he doesn't have it to compare against anymore. It's just the head's back on the front of the fridge, like to show him that the guy, the killer, had been back. Yeah, um, but he doesn't have the body anymore. And yeah, the fingernails of the doll matched with the ones they found in the ice. He goes back to this DUI guy that he's been looking at as a new target, and the guy testifies that he reported his car stolen before the accident. He's found guilty, and he's on Dexter's list now. Found not guilty. He's found not guilty. Yeah, and he's on Dexter's list. So, um, Dokes is interrogating Norberto, who's the suspect they found in the cop killing. Um, LaGuerta reveals a missing chunk of Norberto's arm, which is what was in the dead man's mouth. Like, the guy's not talking, and she pulls this bandage off his arm, and there's, like, a teeth mark missing skin chunk on his arm. Um, which I think is great. Uh, <laughs> Dexter had this elaborate thread spatter analysis set up at the wife's crime scene, and this leads to finding the second person's blood, which is matched to the skin. Dexter is grinning again. Uh, LaGuerta wants to use Norberto to leverage and get a higher profile crime, his boss, um, Cervantes, and Dokes wants to stop at Norberto. We have a flashback to Harry rehearsing the lamest eulogy ever for his partner's funeral, and young Dexter tells him he's great. Um, I think his eulogy is literally like, it's something along the lines of, um, he was a great man, he was a great friend, he was a really great cop, and my partner, and I will miss him. I guess it would have been considered yeah. great by young Dexter because maybe he couldn't have written any better. I mean, if, if that's your only critic is yeah. is a teenager, then maybe it's okay. But yeah, terrible. A teenager, a teenager that we know is like a killer. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I actually heard a great like uh, uh, comedic bit recently about the people who don't know how to change their voice or inflections in their voice when they're doing things. So like they'll give that same speech pattern. Like sometimes it'll be like the girl that's like doesn't know how to change. So she's like, "We've been friends since forever, and things are great, and you're awesome." And then it's this, it's the same thing at her funeral. I can't believe you're dead. This is the worst day of my life. And it's like, you know, he sounds the same every single time he talks in public, which is like kind of almost I think how Dexter learns how to be like the fake Dexter, you know, or whatever. It's like he gets yeah. he gets more from Harry than just the the rules of Harry. He gets how to play the game a little bit, you know? Sure. And yeah, and his uh his that's great, you know, thing is 
Harry went through all the things that go into a eulogy. What's missing? Like, to him, that's a perfectly fine eulogy. But it's missing all the sentiment and all the, you know, personal side of things um, that he doesn't he doesn't know how to pick up on yet or fake yet. Yeah, he's got he's got a lot to to almost like live up to with Harry in some, yeah. in some regard, you know. So it's it's like we and I think this is uh, the, in the in the pilot episode I was I wasn't a big fan of the flashbacks, but then I think in this one they didn't bother me as much because I felt like they had not necessarily more purpose, but like they were a little briefer and they also just set a tone in in the way that I felt like the show was finally trying to get like they were trying to pinpoint exactly what it was they were trying to say. I think another big part of that, big part of the reason why they're better here is that um, the pilot was done on such a limited budget uh, compared to the way the rest of the show is done. And a lot of those episode one flashback scenes, they would just drown everything in white light. So you really just had the two characters talking and like no backgrounds or anything, um, which is a really cheap look to achieve, but it also doesn't look very impressive on screen that it's just kind of washed out and, um, and, and cheesy looking. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an easy, easy it effect. Makes a big difference when you get picked up. Yeah. So, uh, next, uh, Dexter goes after the DUI guy at a bar. Um, he, he snags the guy's shot glass with his fingerprints and then looks in the national database because apparently, uh, the people charging with the DUI and the, and the homicide only looked in Florida and he figures out that this guy's been a national serial killer and sets up a kill room. And then Dexter somewhat misrepresents, um, again, this is one of those things where I'm not sure if they did this on purpose or if they weren't quite clear on what Harry's code was yet, but he says that the most important rule Harry taught me was to be sure um, as in be sure that the person you're killing deserves it versus what every other time I hear him talk about the most important thing in Harry's code, it's don't get caught. I would assume that be sure. I mean, I guess that that you know, in the sense of like the, for the greater good, be sure should be the number one thing. But obviously, don't get caught is way more important because of the fact that what you're doing is still against the law. So that's like a, um, that's almost like a, a weird contrast for him to have to to be involved with. If you get caught, it doesn't matter if you're sure because you're not going to be killing anybody else. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this is another thing where we're not 100% sure on what constitutes the Code of Harry. Because at one point he talks about the Code of Harry being how he chooses his victims. But then he also is like, well, the Code of Harry states this. Like, it's everything that Harry ever taught him. So... it's hard to tell what he was using in context here. Yeah, I only bring it up because it seems like 25 to 50% of James Remar's job on this show is to say, remember the most important rule is don't get caught. Like, you'll hear him say that a thousand times <laughs> over the course of eight seasons. Uh, so it's just one of those things that it sticks out because I've already seen all of the 
show and now I'm looking back and um yeah so Dokes goes to the hospital and comforts the wounded wife in front of La Guerta who sees it and kind of gets a suspicious look on her face um Deb and Sean and Dexter and Rita go out on their double date um Deb and Sean are like making out through the whole thing and uh Dexter has this line I can kill a man dismember his body and be home in time for Letterman but knowing what to say to my girlfriend when she's insecure I'm at a loss that's um in that scene when that voiceover is going he is instead of saying something to Rita who is clearly by her face feeling rejected by Dexter again and wanting what Deb and Sean have, um, instead of saying something, he is stuffing his face with a sandwich. Well, she actually, okay. yeah, and she actually says that to him. She says, you know, while they're really, you know, open with their, um, with how they feel about each other, they can't get and, their hands off each other. Yeah, exactly. And she puts like while they're doing that, she puts a hand on his thigh. Um, which is kind of a, a mirror of what happened in the last episode, uh, but this is her putting her hand in the in the Dexter's uh, region, and so uh, and he he knows she's insecure, but he doesn't you know he doesn't rise to the 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 cue do anything because he's not he's not going to do anything physical. He doesn't want that to happen, and he doesn't know what to say to satisfy her. We cut to uh, Norberto, who's being let out of his cell, and the guard shanks him to death. Um, as it's panning away from the dex- from the guy bleeding out in the prison, we start hearing someone sl- singing Are You Sleeping really creepily, um, which turns out to be Dexter in the next scene um, singing to Rita's kids. Uh, so that's an interesting little transition they did there. Yeah, also, uh, bad job on that that guard for, like, just throwing the weapon. Like, he had his fingerprints all over it. Like, again, these things that I notice, but he's, like, got his fingerprints on, he's stabbing him, and he throws it down right next to the body. Like, what are you doing? Like, I don't, it's just, I don't and know. I love I loved the obvious, in that scene, too, the obvious, like, this is the edge of the set. Like, he lets him out of the cell. Yeah. They walk, like, four feet, and then he's like, eh, eh. Yeah. And they can play a random spot that would make yeah. no sense sure. whatsoever. Like, why do you even walk him down the hall where you're the same view of anything else? <laughs> why bother? Just just put him through the bars. Like, yeah, geez. through the bars, like, like uh, choke him out or something. I don't know. I mean, at least then you don't have fingerprints on something. It's so stupid. I guess the thinking is who's going to really investigate it, but still, you, you still want to use some kind of planning, you would think. Yeah. Yeah, because mm-hmm. Norberto's talking about how, like, oh, well, the, the, did it come down from the warden, or, like, who made it come, you know, because it's all connected right. with car- cartels and stuff, and then, like, obviously he's like, is the warden, you know, whatever, and he's like, no, it's from Cervantes, ha And it's just like, <laughs> like well, even as careless as that scene was, with the, the guard, like, Everybody had to know that guard was going to going to be in that cell block. He he had the knife and and now his fingerprints are all over it. Uh, like five minutes later, 
LaGuardia's like, they think another prisoner did it. Yeah. There's not another prisoner in that scene. <laughs> There's nobody nearby. How did the prisoner get out of a cell at that point? It, it, it didn't make any sense. Well, I'm like, these are the worst that's, cops. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Miami. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> just another one of those times when the writers were just like, we want this to happen. We don't care if it makes sense. We're just going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. So he gets stabbed out. Uh, they go back to Rita's, and Rita and Dexter start making out. It seems okay. It seems like they're actually comfortable. Um, Dexter puts his hand on Rita's breast, and she immediately snaps out and recoils away from him. And then Dexter does this really smart uh, chess move kind of thing where he's like, you know, it needs to be right for both of us or it won't be right for either of us. Rita completely melts away and she's like, at least at last I found one truly decent man left on the planet. Yeah, I just want to say, you can tell that Dexter has no experience with women by the way that he touches her breast. It's like he, yeah. he dive bombs it. Like, he takes yeah. his hand, he takes his hand almost like it's like a, a like a knife or a plane or something, and he dive bombs it. He just and he's like, scoops oh. under it. Yeah, like, well, right exactly away. Like, like you don't even for suddenly go. The first one. Yeah. He was like, like yes. she recoils again. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like he's attacking a piece of meat. You know, mm-hmm. like, he just has no idea, which is great, because, again, that's great for the characters. So it's so funny that, like, we talk about those things, because it does make a big difference. Because otherwise, had he started out more, like, sensually, and, like, put his hand over the top of her clothing, and then, like, moved up her neck, and, like, been sensual about it, that's not Dexter. We know that. So, yeah. you know, like, kudos to Michael... Is it Michael C. Hall, right? That's his... Yeah. Uh, yeah it's, uh, I'm trying to remember he that. Does a, he does a voiceover... I think in that scene where he talks about when a relationship gets to this point for him, when they start to try to get intimate, they see that he can't be there with them, and that's when all of his relationships fall apart. Yeah, it feels very much like a like he won't do eye contact, or that they just they can tell that there's no emotion there; that he's just kind of going through the motions. And that, too, is with, you know, that grab, it looks like, you know, a 12-year-old's idea of how to initiate sex is. It's like, well, then you just grab her by this, and she's all in, and you you go for it. It's like, well, no, you probably shouldn't do that. Very true to the character of having no idea how to interact, and he's just imitating all the time. Yeah. Yeah, no. uh, I I love the way he gets out of it. I love the way that like he he gets enough sincerity out there to be like, you know, I want it to be right for both of us instead of saying I don't ever want to do this. It's like <laughs> I'm ready when you're ready when when I'm ready and it'll be fine. That sounds so cheesy. It's like well, he's like I'm it sorry. Makes him look so good. <laughs> yeah, he talks. He talks about he's like, uh, wow, sex is a real elephant in the corner for us. He's like, as far as I'm concerned, it can stay in that corner, <laughs> uh, you know, until we're ready. So yeah. Yep. Uh, we see the fingers from the ice truck uh, ID'd as another hooker. 
Um, Deb is called into Captain Morgan, not Captain Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Matthews's office, and, uh, <laughs> and he pours a bunch of rum on her. Pours it out. <laughs> shots so makes it like a shot like for everybody. Video. Yeah, there's crab smashing going on. There's you know where is at. <laughs> Captain Morgan at the wet nap. Uh, <laughs> So Deb's called into the captain's office, uh, and Matthews forces LaGuerta to transfer Deb from vice to homicide, so she gets the job that she wants. Um, LaGuerta even had to make the statement um, to that she was being promoted and transferred. Um, then we see Dokes working off the clock. Um, LaGuerta informs him that Karen died at the hospital, and then she confirms that Dokes was indeed having an affair with uh, Kara and the cop's wife. Deb and Dexter go out to celebrate Deb's promotion. Um, and Dexter finds out that Deb's boyfriend was married and that Deb dumped him. Yeah, good for her. You know, again, one of those moments where Deb is just, you know, can't get a break in terms of her relationships. You know, she's trying to find a good one. She always thinks she finds a good one. She even says earlier, he isn't he a keeper? You're just like, yeah. 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 Yeah, poor dad. Yeah, and she says somewhere in this episode, I think it's during uh, when when she's uh, uh, is it this? She says at some point that she's looking for a guy that she can trust, um, which is a foreshadowing thing. Yeah, I think that was in the pilot episode. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's when he she accuses Dexter of being like mom. Mm, yeah, you're right. Um, so then we go back to the DUI uh, guy that Dexter's after. Uh, there's a flashback where Harry tells young Dexter that Harry's partner got off. The guy that killed Harry's partner got off in court. Uh, Dexter looks like he might take down Cervantes, who he randomly runs into in a bathroom. Um, but in, yeah. <laughs> but then um, it, it, it cuts, it kind of tricks you out because it's like. It looks like he's going to take him down, and then they cut to this body on the table, uh, and it's revealed it's not Cervantes, it's the DUI guy. And uh, he tells the DUI guy that he's killed too many times to be sorry, and stabs him in the heart. And so, now we're establishing what's more of a regular ritual for Dexter, which is, um, he doesn't just start chopping into some guy's neck, he kills him with one clean... Knife to the heart. Because he establishes this more so later, but it's it's not really the killing that is the important thing to Dexter. It's the ritual itself. Right. Yeah, that's what makes him feel good. And, it, you know, torture's not part of it either. So it's not about inflicting pain. It's about causing death. Yeah, it's like killing people is just kind of a means to an end. So, yeah. Um, there's a short montage of him disposing of the guy's body. And then when he gets back to his apartment, once again, the doll's head's on the fridge. But the rest of the doll's gone. And... They show Dexter again, partially submerged like a crocodile, like he was in the beginning of the episode. Um, but this time, it's in the bathtub, and he goes underwater, and kind of looks creepily out of the water at the camera, and it 
that's the fade out of the episode. So that's episode two. Um, that was directed by Michael Cuesta again, um, and written by Clyde Phillips, who uh, used to work on Parker Lewis Can't Lose and Suddenly Susan. He was the showrunner for seasons one through four of Dexter. So he's he's the guy for the first half of the series. And um, after leaving Dexter, he was a writer and producer on Nurse Jackie. Um, I gave the best line to uh, him saying, I can kill a man, dismember his body, and be home in time for Letterman, but knowing what to say when my girlfriend's insecure, I'm at a loss. I thought that was a perfect line. That was my favorite line of the episode. And one of the big reasons is it it gives you a humanizing look at Dexter because you can tell that there is some genuine care for Rita. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that line as well and definitely something that he's considerate of in terms of her emotions and her well-being and... And I think that's great that it's like, because we know he's emotionless pretty much, except for this one, maybe there's Deb's the other person, two people, um, but they're both, you know, they're both really uh, important to his goings-ons, the way he goes about doing what he does. Mm-hmm. It shows that he's not as emotionless as he believes he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and even though he has enough... Um, like sensitivity to realize that internally he has nothing that like he he has no uh way of externalizing that or expressing that to her so it's just stuck in his head but we know that he's actually experiencing that um you guys i i forgot it already but you had a worse line or a the cookie uh, line i'm cookie uh, yeah. i'm cookied out okay yeah that's the one yeah, right. It's just oh, saying yeah. stupid stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's it's something like um, I'm well and truly cookied. Um, yeah, God. <laughs> and I think we can all agree that the performance of the episode goes to Captain Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> Captain, Captain Morgan made the episode. Captain oh, Morgan boy. is going to be necessary for the last three seasons. I'm going to tell you. Uh, that. Absolutely. You're just preparing us. So we'll yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah. yeah. No, it's funny uh, that you say Captain Morgan, though, because I was going to say Jeff Pearson. Yeah. He liked his performance? Yeah. Well, one? I think it was a great introduction to the show, and I felt like he had. I don't know, he has, just has a commanding presence. And, um, he really does. And definitely lives up to like being the captain, and like, I don't know, this I just like the guy. So, yeah. I actually really like Dokes' performance. Um, when y- you get kind of a... Up to this point, he's been a caricature of Samuel L. Jackson. In this one, you actually see that there are some things that he cares about and that he is... He's not just also another Dexter. He is a person like a a full emotional person yeah especially the scene when he finds out that Karen is dead and he did play that he did play that well he did play that well I I went with Michael C. Hall which I know this is going to be an ongoing problem that I'm probably going to feel the draw to say him most of the time but the reason I chose him for this one is because this is the first episode where we see him 
develop the character of Dexter. I feel like the pilot was just introductory and kind of bland, uh, but in this episode, which I actually liked more than the pilot, I felt like he really started hitting those notes of being very sinister, but also having that dorky humor, and he just hit that so well, like the reaction to the blood spattering in his face, and he just hit the notes perfectly, and really, he usually does. I mean, you can't, as many flaws as there are with the show, his performance is very rarely one of those flaws. Yeah. I I like, uh, I like Jeff Pearson on this show. I think he really does a great job. Um, he's very consistent character actor all the way through it. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I did on the last episode too. I tend to lean toward, you know, who had the most heavy lifting and, um, it's going to be hard for it not to be Michael C. Hall for me. A lot of these episodes. So that's how to play it. So, right. I mean, he's, he's, he's impeccable. Really? Yeah, this is a really good follow-up uh, to the pilot. I think, like, in terms of a second episode, if you weren't very sure about it from the pilot, then, like, now you get a little bit more stability, and, like, they did a good job of figuring out their voice a little bit better. Yeah, now it feels like the show that's going to be for the rest of the season. Yeah. You know? Yeah, we go back to, after I rewatched the pilot, and I, you know, was asking myself why I was ever such a fan of the show. Now I've watched this one, and I'm like, okay, this is this is why I was a fan. This makes mm-hmm. sense. Something we didn't talk about in this one, um, in the first episode, we we talked about how the characters, the side characters like Batista and Masuka hadn't been really fleshed out, that they were very cut and dry. Um, In this one, Batista is now in his typical regalia. He's got his hat on and he's got his button-up shirt. Kind of the the colorful shirts that he wears. Yeah, and Dokes is more clearly defined. Um, You know, we're we're not getting into too many side characters, but they have, like, Dokes didn't really even have a much of a subplot in the first, in the pilot, and here he has a fairly major one um, where he's involved in the homicide of the cop that he's investigating, so. Yeah, yeah, um, in Matsuka, but that's because there's not much you can do with him. He has the chocolate on his shirt, he makes the sexual comment against Deb, I mean, it's just... And then, look, look yeah. I do want to point out, she made a comment... I'm glad that somebody learned something about the sexual harassment seminar. Did anybody catch this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's sexually harassing Dexter. Yep. Yeah. I, 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 I debated about whether to write that line in my notes when I heard it because, and I, and I, I erred on the side of just letting it go, like just deciding not to, not to even bother with that one. But, but yes, I heard that too, and I was like, "Really? You're the one that said to Deb in a briefing in the last episode, I don't recognize you with your clothes on." Yeah, right. And you're you're insulting her clothing and her body, and mocking the hookers, and then you are sexually harassing Dexter, winking badly, <laughs> flirting badly. Yeah, you're worried about sexual harassment in the workplace. Like, I mean, it, it's it's a half a joke, right? Because she's not seriously right. worried about it. She's throwing it out there as a joke. But like, yeah, that was that's a line that I think they gave it to her because she was the authority figure, and it's just kind of this this one off thing. It would have 
been it would have made more sense coming out of like Matthews or somebody like that but she says it and I'm just like ah, it doesn't work no it's bad that was just didn't fit yeah well that's the end of the episode guys I am uh, I am well and truly cookied and uh, <laughs> I gotta tell you I'm gonna go eat I some appreciate, cookies <laughs> I appreciate all your time uh, don't want to take up too much more of it so uh, so yeah thanks a lot thanks for coming out and uh, doing this and we'll be back again